At Kroger, we believe it takes the right team to bring you the freshest produce. That's why we partner with farmers who grow only the best. And that level of teamwork means better, fresher options time and time again. Working with farmers is what it takes to be fresh for everyone. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Kroger, fresh for everyone. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon. I'm Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Worldwide toll-free, 1-800-610-7035. Email xzone at xzoneradiotv.com. On all social media sites, TV and our main website, www.xzoneradiotv.com. My guest this hour is Lee Spiegel. And Lee has been interested in the idea of UFOs, aliens, living dinosaurs, and a whole range of topics that often overlap the worlds of science and unexplained phenomena since he was a young boy. His first foray into the pursuit and investigation of these topics was in 1975 when he produced and wrote a documentary record album, UFOs, the credibility factor for CBS, Inc. Now, it marked the first time that military and scientific voices came together to disclose their personal UFO encounters and to call for government recognition of the phenomenon. Joining me now is Lee Spiegel. And Lee, welcome to the X-Zone. Well, thank you, Rob. It's nice to be in the X-Zone. And you probably have a lot of people out there snickering when, when they heard you say, Living Dinosaurs? Uh, no, no, because I've, I've gone out with a few of them in my day. <laughs> okay, good. Well, then I'm in good company. Yes, you are, my friend. Listen, before we get going, uh, you and I were talking before the show, and mm-hmm. uh, I'd like you to share the information with the Exonation that you did with me about our good friend Stanton Friedman. Our, our mutual friend, n- nuclear physicist Stanton T. Friedman, who is beloved around the world by, by believers and skeptics mm-hmm. alike of true. the UFO phenomenon. He's, he's the flying saucer physicist, and Stan is the hardest working man in, in UFO show business, and he had uh, a heart attack on Friday, and uh, he's almost 80 years old. He'll be 80 next month, <clears throat> and 
he's always living out of a suitcase. He's always mm-hmm. traveling, and he, he, he has put more mileage into talking about UFOs than anyone that you and I probably know together. And uh, Stan um, was not in bad health. This just hit him on Friday. He was first brought to a medical facility uh, in, in, in another town in Canada where, where he lives, and they didn't have the proper facilities to do all the tests that they needed. So in the next 48 hours, Stan will be taken to a, a larger hospital where doctors will decide what the procedure should be, whether to do any kind of surgery, um, perhaps put a stent mm-hmm. somewhere near his heart. But they pretty much curtailed his activities. And among the things now that he cannot do, he was going to be, of course, one of the featured present presenters this coming weekend at the annual Roswell, New Mexico Festival, uh, something that he never misses, but he won't be there this year. And in three weeks, he and I uh, were going to be on a panel together outside of Philadelphia about media and UFOs. He will not be able to go to that. So, and he's not the kind of guy that that wants to slow down either. He has a lot more to say to people and more research to do. And I've known Stan since, well, 1975. When I put together that UFO album that that you just mentioned, Stan was the very first person who I ever interviewed about UFOs. And and that was like 40 years ago. And he and I have been friends ever since. And so we... We all send our wishes yes. to him. And, uh, you know, Stanton, if you can hear me through the through the vastness of space, you've always got a way of knowing what's going on. You're in our thoughts mm. and in our prayers, my friend. Um, you know, if it wasn't for Stanton T. Friedman, I, I don't think the city of Roswell, New Mexico, would even be known today. You're probably very right yeah. about that. Because it... You know, the events of Roswell took place in 1947, mm-hmm. and then they quickly died when, when the whole story about a, a weather balloon um, circumceded uh, the, you know, the original story of a, of a UFO or flying saucer mm-hmm. crashing outside of Roswell. The military swiftly came in, changed the story. It wasn't a flying saucer. It had to be a weather balloon. And, and then the, the story kind of went away for about 30 years when Stan, in 1977, started hearing some stories about people who were involved with whatever it was that crashed at Roswell in 1947, including uh, Major Jesse Marcel, the Air Air Force officer who was sent out to the ranch Mm -hmm. to pick up pieces of whatever it was that crashed out there. And and starting to, to research all of this information and the leads that Stan was getting, In 1977, he started to track down people, and Stan became the first civilian investigator of Roswell, and he pretty much put Roswell into the consciousness of the American public. Lee, stand by, my friend. You and I have to take our first commercial break. Exo Nation, Lee Spiegel is our special guest, www.leespiegel.com. And we'll be back on the other side of this break in two minutes. And once again, to Stanton T. Friedman and his family, Stanton, you're in our prayers. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson. 
consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the esoteric series, modern esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Named one of the world's greatest psychics, Elizabeth Joyce is now giving readings worldwide via Skype. Elizabeth Joyce is recognized for her clairvoyant ability to help find missing persons, her analysis of dreams, past life regression work, mediumship, and her accurate predictions. Elizabeth has been a frequent guest on the Exxon radio show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, now for several years. For an appointment with Elizabeth Joyce, call 201-934-8986 or Skype at elizabeth.joyce. And for more information, you can always visit Elizabeth Joyce online at www.new-visions.com. disease that you would like to alleviate through a natural means? Have you been contacted by angels, ghosts, or even extraterrestrials and want to validate these experiences? Or would you simply like to speak with someone who can help you find your life's purpose? I'm Dr. Joseph Mara, and I'm offering my services free of charge for first-time clients contacting me during the month of April. These free consultations include angel card readings, guided meditations, life coaching, and energy healing. If you have always wanted to explore these types of experiences but were skeptical or simply could not afford them, then take advantage of this free special offer. Contact me through my website, aguidinglight, spelled L-I-T-E, dot com, to schedule your consultation today. Until then, I offer you love, light, and laughter. Welcome back, everyone. Lee Spiegel is our special guest this hour. www.leespiegel.com. And Lee, I have to ask you, where does your interest in UFOs come from? Well, if, if I was going to be honest, I would have to say, Rob, mm-hmm. um, ever since I was a kid and always had the bejesus scared out of me at great movies like Earth versus the Flying Saucer. Oh, my gosh, yeah. In, you know, Invaders from Mars, w- War of the Worlds. Oh, yeah, I mean, I, classic. I had nightmares, but I couldn't, I couldn't get away from this stuff. <laughs> um, and, you know, back then as a kid, I had no clue 
of course, what the, <laughs> what the future held for yeah. me. Um, but it really, it, it was it was watching all of those movies that just kind of took me by by control. Uh, and I still watch a lot of those old movies now when I'm totally bored and have nothing else to watch. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and, and, and then in 1973, the United States was, was found itself in a grip of a UFO wave, they call them, where all around the country, mm-hmm. people were reporting strange things in the skies. And, and many of the reports were, were by very credible people. And it was one of the last times, Rob, I think, that the media actually was paying attention to it and, and paying attention in a credible way. You don't get a lot of that now these days, which is kind of a sad thing. Yeah. But, but back then, and, that, and that's one of the reasons why I became more interested in it as an adult was because media, media was presenting stories that caught my attention, and they weren't laughing about it. Have you ever seen a UFO? <laughs> yes, I have. Yes, yes, I have. And it was, uh, it was while I was working on producing that UFO documentary mm-hmm. album that, that, uh, that you talked about. Right. I got, I got a call one day from the late astronomer J. Allen Hynek. Ah. And, and he and I had become friends because... He was one of the first people that I interviewed about UFOs for my album. I, I think I interviewed him right after I spoke to Stan Friedman. So Alan and I had become friends, and he called. He, he called me one day and said, "He said, listen, I'm getting phone calls from police officers, sheriff's departments, highway patrolmen in the Lumberton, North Carolina area." They're seeing something strange in the sky there a couple nights in a row, and they're asking my help to try and investigate this. And I don't have an investigator down in North Carolina. And so Alan asked me if I would go down there and check it out. And at the very least, just to do some interviews mm-hmm. with the, the, the eyewitnesses there. And he, he said, if you can go there, and if you get some really good uh, first-hand eyewitnesses from credible people. I'll publish your story through my Center for UFO Studies. So I, so I said, well, all right, let, let, me, let me think about this. What exactly are they reporting to you? He, he said, well, um, th- what they're reporting is something that we haven't heard a lot about in 1975, a V-shaped or triangular-shaped object. <clears throat> and I said, I said, wait a minute, you, you're not sending me down to North Carolina to see a classic flying saucer because that's what I really want to see, <laughs> you know, based on, on my childhood experiences on the movies. He said, no, I'm sorry that the people are reporting this triangular-shaped thing. And I said, great, you're, you're going to send me down to North Carolina to look for a flying Dorito. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, really? Uh, and I said, I said, I will go because how many times can a guy like me get a call from an astronomer like Alan Hynek mm-hmm. asking him to pretty much make an appointment with me to see a UFO, I'm gone. I'm there. Sure. <laughs> of course I'm going to go. And within a few hours of my arrival uh, at the Sheriff's Department in Lumberton, North Carolina, the switchboard started acting up and people were calling in and, and they were seeing something in the sky. 
And so into a, into a sheriff's car I went with one of the deputies, and by maintaining contact with the other law enforcement people in the area in their cars using their, their car radios, we all finally drove into an area right in front of a big field. Um, the sun had gone down. There was no moon in the sky. Stars were coming out. And the only sound that, that we could hear in the area in front of this big field uh, were animals that were apparently nervous about something going on. So we all got out of the cars, and as we looked across the field in front of us, uh, there was a line of trees. And as we watched, there was a red light and an alternating white light, just going back and forth, red and white, very slowly moving above the tops of the trees. And, and then when it got to about midway along the trees, it stopped, and then it started moving across the field toward where we were standing. That, that's when I started to get a little nervous. <laughs> kind of a combination of nervous and excited. Uh, and this thing, this thing got closer and closer until it finally just stopped directly in the air above us. And it was at that point, because of the way the lights on the object were reflecting off of it, we could see that it was a triangle-shaped object. It had a row of white lights up one side of it, <clears throat> a row of red lights up the other side, and at the apex of where the two sides met was a, a larger, brighter light. And the thing, Rob, just stood, it, it parked itself right in the sky above us. It made no sound, and it was just right there. We estimated that it wasn't much bigger than one of the cars that we had arrived in. Uh, not a very big craft, uh, but it sure got our attention. And as we watched it, as it was just hovering there, mm -hmm. um, at, the, at the apex light, all of a sudden it got brighter and a beam of light came right out of the object and shined directly down onto the ground where we were standing. So you can imagine, you know, how, how my heart was pumping at this point. Uh, because a lot of thoughts were going through my head, such as, well, I feel pretty safe because I'm surrounded by police officers and their little six-shooters. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> how, how, just, how, how safe, really, am I here? Yeah. Because if this, if this thing wants to eat us, well, I'm an appetizer. I'm done. <laughs> you know. So th this, this bright light was shining down on us. Mm -hmm. Couldn't have lasted more than three or four seconds. It was really bright. You could hardly look directly at it. And then the, the light went back up into the craft. And as we watched it, the craft turned like an amber color. The whole thing was an amber color. And it very, very slowly turned about 90 degrees and just started slowly moving away from us, as if to say, I'm done with you people. I'm going elsewhere. Uh, and and so everybody collected their wits. We got back into the cars, and and followed it as much as we could through a couple of counties there in uh, near near Lumberton, and and we kept coming onto scenes where there were other law enforcement people there who had just had their own encounter, and so my purposes of being down there to gather information and interviews for Dr. Heineck was perfect because. 
I had my tape recorder. I was interviewing these people. Came upon um, police chief, police chief Gary Moore was his name. He was he was sitting in his patrol car, and he said he, he saw something weird. And I, and I said, what did you see? He was sitting in his car, and all of a sudden, the whole inside of his car lit up. And and just like Richard Dreyfus in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, you know, when he's when his truck is stopped mm-hmm. at the yeah. at the railroad tracks, and he looks out the side of the window and looks up. Well, the police chief stuck his head out of the window of the car and looked up, and and he said, this thing was just parked in the sky above me. So I said, all right, what did you do? Mm -hmm. He very slowly got out of his car, went over to his trunk, opened up the trunk, and he pulled out one of those big old police lanterns, gigantic flashlights that they often use in emergencies. Right. He He shined it up, he aimed it at the object in the sky, and he blinked it once, and he said the thing blinked back at him. I went, really? And then what did you do? He said, well, I blinked it twice. And it blinked twice back at me. And then it turned and it went away. It was done with the, with the police chief. Then we found two other police officers a few miles away who said that while they were outside of their car, mm-hmm. listening to the, the chatter on the car radios, they saw this thing coming above them in the sky, and, and instead of stopping directly above them, without missing a beat, the thing just did a quick 90-degree angle turn and went off in another direction without stopping. So needless to say, Rob, uh, Dr. Hynek published my story. It became known as the Lumberton UFO Report of 1975, and I got to see you know, uh, something that was really unusual, uh, I, I got in touch with the uh, the local Air Force base there in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Of course, they weren't going to admit if they had anything that they were testing in the area. And again, in 1975, while, while we can assume nowadays that things were being researched and developed at Area 51 in, in, in Nevada, right? Did we did we have anything that could perform these kinds of maneuvers? And I was told afterwards, I was told recently by uh, my, my, my new acquaintance in the field, David Marler, who's written a book about triangular UFOs. David said that the, the encounter that I was involved with uh, was one of the first multiple witness UFO encounters of a triangular ship. And this was several years before the famous Phoenix Lights took place in 1997. Truly so, fascinating. yeah, well, the, the long, long answer to your question, yeah, I've had an encounter, and you never forget it when it happens. We'll be back on the other side of this news break. Please stand by, Lee. Lee Spiegel is my special guest this hour, ExoNation. UFOs is the topic. If you'd like to uh, visit Lee's website, www.leespiegel.com. And Lee and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break. As we continue from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Once again, to Stanton T. Friedman, get well soon. Our thoughts and our prayers are with you and your family. Hey, pal, I'll give you a little bit of an insight. I've had three heart attacks. They're not that bad. They can all be better. We'll be back on the other side. Take care.
Are you considering calling a psychic to read your situation? Then consider David Champion, a psychic medium for more than 20 years with thousands of readings under his belt. David Champion will make you feel comfortable. He has proven to be honest and accurate. He's a straight shooter. There's no guesswork. What he sees is what you get. While he is a medium, most of the calls focus on relationships, not only love, but work, school, neighbors, and more. Need help with finding a job and preparing for the interview? Are you dealing with people who are obstacles in your path? For more information, go to davidchampion.com, $1.50 per minute, paid by credit card, with a minimum of 30 minutes. For your reading with David Champion, call 1-877-702-8598. That's 1-877-702-8598. Now you can dial in to listen to the X-Zone Radio Show from anywhere in the world with Rob McConnell 24-7, 365 by dialing 213-401-0080. That's 213-401-0080. If you have a mobile phone or landline, the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell is now at your beck and call at 213-401-0080. That's 213-401-0080, 24-7. 365. Now you can dial in to listen to the Exxon Radio Show from anywhere in the world with Rob McConnell 24-7, 365 by dialing 213-401-0080. That's 213-401-0080. If you have a mobile phone or landline, the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is now at your beck and call at 213-401-0080. That's 213-401-0080, 24-7, 365. Welcome back, everyone. Lee Spiegel is our special guest this hour. We're talking about UFOs, and uh, Lee's website is www.leespiegel.com. Lee, you are the only person to have ever given a um, a talk or presentation on UFOs at the United Nations. Can you tell us about that? Yes, I, I would love to talk about that. A- after I finished producing my UFO documentary album, Mm-hmm. in uh, 1975, I, I still wasn't satisfied. Uh, I wanted to do something else. I wanted to do something more that would help bring a credible awareness of UFOs to the public. And, and I thought, well, you know, what, what better way of doing that? Because it's not an American or a Canadian phenomenon. It's a global thing. And I thought, well, okay, we have this thing here in New York called the United Nations. And I I started asking around and found that no one had ever really done anything about UFOs at the UN. And also was told by many people, you can't just walk up to the United Nations, Mm -hmm. knock on the door and say, hi, can I do a presentation on UFOs, please? (laughs) You know, it's like, well, you're, you're done. Go away. Go back. Go back and live in your parents' basement. We don't want you here. Um. So 
as it turned out, in 1977, the prime minister of the little Caribbean country called Grenada started making some waves at the mm -hmm. UN. He, he started giving speeches in the General Assembly asking for the member nations to think about putting together a committee that would share UFO information among each other, and mostly because he'd had, he claimed that he had had his own experiences and, and that there, there were many UFO encounters in, in the country of Grenada. And, and as a matter of basically protocol, the UN very patiently and diplomatically listened to Prime Minister Eric Gehry's you know, ranting, if you will, of UFOs. And I was noticing this, and I also noticed that nobody was paying attention to him. And, and I thought, well, hmm, maybe, maybe I could offer him something. Maybe we could help each other in some way. So I became friendly with his ambassadors at the Grenada mission at the United Nations. And I went to visit them, and I brought with me a copy of my UFO album, UFO is the Credibility Factor, and I, I gave it to the ambassadors and said, would you please give this album to your prime minister with my compliments and, and tell him that, that I would like to meet him sometime because I have an idea that I think could, could work to your advantage and also to my own. And as it turned out, not long after that, I was invited to the United Nations on the night when Eric Gehry was knighted, became Sir Eric Gehry, huh. in a whole big deal, extravaganza, ceremony, pomp and circumstance, and lots of great food. Well, there you go. <laughs> you can't beat that. Well, yeah, there's a reason for going. Sure. And, and it, was, it was after he became Sir Eric Gehry that he and I were brought into a room where we had a one-on-one -on -one meeting, and he thanked me for, for the album that I had given him, and he said he understood that I had an idea or a proposal. I said, I said, yes, Mr. Prime Minister, I've been watching you, listening to you on the news, and with all due respect, the, the world is really not listening to your proposal because there's a lot of ridicule factor around the world about UFOs. I, on the other hand, I have some friends who, as you know from listening to my album, I've got some military friends, scientific friends, law enforcement people. I've got some people that I know in the government who would be willing to come forward and join me to put a presentation together at the United Nations. But we need to be sponsored by someone. Would Grenada be interested in doing this? If you, if you sponsor my proposal, I will present an actual presentation at the UN that will knock everybody's socks off and it will bring credibility to the United Nations mm -hmm. uh, about UFOs because of the people that I will bring to this whole thing. And over a handshake, Rob, we made a deal. And, and shortly thereafter, I received in the mail my official Grenada delegates card because they had to, they had to make me a delegate of the country. And as soon as that happened, I found out afterwards, our country, America, my country, started keeping an eye on me. You're kidding. Um, 
No, I'm not. I'm not. And I didn't. I didn't. The only the only clue that I had, Rob, was yeah. that <clears throat> during the rest of the year in 1978 that I was working on this presentation, I knew that my home phone was tapped because frequently I would go. I'd pick up the phone to make mm-hmm. a call, and and there would be no dial tone. But but instead of a dial tone, I heard breathing. So I, I thought, you know, guys, I tell you what. The call that I'm about to make has nothing to do with my UN thing. So why don't you guys take a break for a few minutes? Let me have my personal call, then come back in about 10 minutes, and you can keep listening. I, I would say things like that into the phone because, it, to me, it was just crap, even though I realized that I had to be a little careful because I was dealing with some stuff that was sensitive, and I was doing it on behalf of another country, not even my own country. So that that would make it quite delicate. I I would think so, and yet I didn't know two things were going on behind the scenes while I was working with Alan Hynek mm-hmm. and Stan Friedman. Both Alan Hynek and Stan Friedman were were among my principal speakers at the United Nations in 1978. While while we were preparing documents and an audiovisual presentation and getting all my speakers lined up. First of all, and I found this out only about a year ago when, when the United Kingdom released a lot of uh, formally declassified, uh, formally classified UFO documents that right. had at the Ministry of Defense. And in this big batch of documents, and I was going through them because my editor wanted me to write a story about the new batch of British UFO documents, I was, I was reading these documents from 1978... And they were documents that were saying things like, we understand that, that the, a UFO presentation is being prepared for the United Nations. We don't think this should happen or should be allowed to happen because we think that if the United Nations starts talking about UFOs, it will bring ill repute and ridicule onto all the United Nations. Now, I, Rob, I'm reading this stuff 30 years after the fact. Wow. And I'm going, wait a minute. This is my presentation that they're talking about mm-hmm. that they tried to stifle, and I'm only hearing about this last year. Also, what I didn't know was going on, and I found this out a few months after our presentation was, was done in 1978. I got a call from uh, attorney Peter Gersten. Sure. Peter, at, at the time, was, was very heavily involved with using the Freedom of Information Act to get a lot of formally uh, classified documents about UFOs out of the government. Peter called me one day and said, hey, listen, I just got a new batch of documents, and you are included in one of the documents. Would would you like me to send it to you? And I went, no, no. (laughs) Don't do do anything with it. His office was up in the Bronx near Yankee Stadium. I said, don't do anything with it. I'm I'm getting on a subway, and I'm coming up there, and you're going (laughs) to hand me the document. Right. And that's what I did. And it was this two-page document from back and forth between the State Department in Washington and the the American ambassador to the United States mission at the U.N. And what this document was all about was the subject line was um, Grenada UFO Crusade Deja Vu, as if to say, here we go again. And, and this document completely outlined Grenada's plan to 
put this presentation together with all these speakers and all this audiovisual stuff. And at one point in the document, it says, here are the people who are involved. Dr. J. Allen Hynek, Stanton Friedman, Jacques Vallée, astronaut Gordon Cooper, on and on and on. And then it says, we understand the person responsible for bringing these people together is producer Lee Spiegel. How would you like us to handle this situation? This is like, it's a great document. And I mean, I, I, I can send it to you. And, and, and in fact, for, for, for any of your listeners who would love to see the document and who would love to see p- amazing pictures of all of us together at the United Nations, if, if you go to my website, leespiegel.com, and click on the button that says UN, you'll see it all. It's, it's all in there, all the pictures, all the documents. It's there for everybody to see. Let me ask you something, Lee. Yeah. Roswell happened 1947. We know there have been reports of UFOs prior to to 1947, prior to 1900. Here yeah. we are in the year 2014. And and still it seems that we haven't gotten any closer to the truth. That's right. Absolutely. And and I I am one of the first I'm one of the few people that I know. Mm-hmm. I like to consider myself a serious researcher of the UFO subject, and I like to bring some journalistic credibility to what, to what I write about for Huffington Post. The problem is, Rob, and, 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 and I'm, I'm finding other people are beginning to think this way too, all this talk about when will there be UFO disclosure alien, of an alien mm-hmm. presence on planet Earth? When, when is this going to happen? Who benefits from this? Why aren't the governments of the world, blah, blah, blah. And I'm at the point now where I don't think, at least in my lifetime, I don't think that there's going to be any kind of an international disclosure because it really doesn't benefit the power structure of any co- countries. I mean, can you imagine, Rob, how many military organizations of all the countries of the world how many military organizations would be in the frame of mind to want to share information about UFOs? Are you kidding? Yeah. Nobody wants to share this stuff. Everybody wants it for their own purposes. Let's capture a UFO. Let's, let's back engineer it and you know, make our sure. own UFOs or other, or other things. Nobody wants to share this stuff. But you know what? That's, and, the, same, that's the same mentality. Uh, Lee, that I've seen throughout the UFO community itself. There's oh, a yeah. lack of, of communication. Nobody wants to share any information. And I, I don't know. know how many times I've had people on from the various organizations, and I say, you know what? That's where your problem lies. Law enforcement, just take a little lesson from them. They mm-hmm. share intelligence. That's how they catch the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's like kindergarten. It's, it's high school. It's like, I don't want to share this because, mm-hmm. because you know, I, I can't tell you who I'm going to the prom with because then you'll be jealous of me. And we don't really want to play with each other. It, it really, there is that mentality. My stuff is better than your stuff. Yeah. My documents and my pictures are much better than your, yours. And we can't release... Anything that we have in our archives, because, well, why should we? We don't want to have to do that. We want it because it's ours. And it's like I say to these people as often as I can, you guys are, are like so full of it, 
because you're <laughs> full of yourself yeah. and, and you're missing the whole picture. And the picture is, first of all, why, if there are visitors, and I happen to think that there are, Rob, I've... I mean, I, I'm at that point. Well, where you've also that. you've you've also had a firsthand experience. Yes, but but you, but you know what, Rob? Even mm-hmm. before I had the experience with the outer space Dorito, yeah, uh, I I was already kind of a believer just because of the research, the the mounds of really interesting yeah. documents, the the eyewitness accounts, the airline pilot pilots who won't talk about it because it's a career killer if they talk about what they've seen. Um, I, and my own interviews with astronauts and with military people. So I already had a personal sense that people weren't making this stuff up. Mm-hmm. And, and so I was comfortable with that. And, and I started to develop over the years an attitude, which is, I don't blame the government. I don't blame the governments of the world. I don't blame our president or the CIA. You know who I blame, Rob? I blame the visitors. It's like, okay, guys, enough is enough. You've been, you've been teasing us yeah. ever since we've been painting you on ancient cave walls and describing you to, to each of us. We, we've been, you know, we have in, in the United States, in New York, we have a famous newspaper called the New York Times. Oh, yeah. And it, it, it's, its motto has always been, all the news that's fit to print. Well, I, you know, you and I are part of a grand tradition of reporting information that goes all the way back eons when the early reporters could only paint things on rocks and walls, and they, they depicted things in the sky that look like modern-day flying saucers. And so I refer mm-hmm. to these people as presenting all the news that's fit to paint. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, so not, not much has changed. Lee, stand, stand by, my friend. You and I have to take our final break. What a okay. guy. Lee Spiegel is my special guest this hour. Exonation, www.leespiegel.com. And Lee and I will be back on the other side of this short break as we continue here in the Exome from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. I'll be back on the other side with Lee Spiegel. Don't go away. With each new extreme weather event or terrorist act, it becomes increasingly obvious that we live in uncertain and challenging times. We all buy car insurance. Why not collapse and catastrophe insurance? Matthew Stein, an MIT-trained engineer and green builder, has written two outstanding books to help people prepare, plan for, and deal with everything from minor situations lasting a few days to full-on collapse. Matt's first book, When Technology Fails, is a manual for self-reliance, sustainable living, and surviving the long emergency. This massive book covers the gamut from first aid and emergency preparedness to alternative healing, renewable energy, primitive living skills, and 18th century technologies that could be critical to your comfort and survival in a long-lasting crisis. Matt's second book, When Disaster Strikes, is a comprehensive emergency preparedness handbook and survival guide. When Disaster Strikes is an essential item for every family's go-bag, Both books are available at all usual sources. 
There's a wealth of totally free information posted at whentechfails.com, and author-signed copies may be purchased at mattstein.com. That's www.whentechfails.com and www.mattstein.com. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnix, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the Word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God, it was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Lee Spiegel is my special guest, ExoNation, www.leespiegel.com. First of all, Lee, as I said during the commercial break, it's been great having you with us. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, when you're talking to Stanton, tell him his friends in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, wish him well. And during the one of the I breaks, I, I sent him an email. I, absolutely. Yeah. Listen, when I talk to other UFO researchers uh, about why the aliens haven't made their presence known. I, I get this same story that I that I swear to God I'm talking to Gene Roddenberry when I hear it. It's, well, they, there's a prime directive that doesn't allow them to make their presence known or to have contact. And I'm saying, well, wait a second. We have cattle mutilation. We have human abductions. We have, you know, contact CE1, 2, 3, 4. Like, who do you believe? I, I don't believe in the prime directive. And I'll tell you what I think it is, and this is really simple, Rob. We are not a very alien-friendly planet. Oh, hell no. <laughs> so, we can't get along with ourselves. Well, that, that, exactly. And, and you know, there, there were many, many more UFO reports that started happening when, when people like Stan Friedman de decades ago were, mm -hmm. were dabbling in nuclear fusion or fission and, they, and we were exploding all kinds of nuclear weapons and bombs and making, making our presence known to whatever visitors might be out there. And, and really, we can't be friendly to each other. This is why the United Nations has never really come together on, on anything, except maybe UNICEF. Yeah, well, and <laughs> so, even that was an accomplishment. Yeah, I, I, I don't think, as I said before, I don't think it'll happen in our lifetime that we will be at a place in consciousness yeah. uh, where we are actually going to be ready to be invited into whatever federation of planets out there that there might be, because we're not ready for this yet. Yeah, we're still very young and immature we have to get along with each other before we can get along with an with a species that's not from this planet. Yeah, exactly. Do you do you uh, think Hollywood actually 
works towards the unification when it comes to the UFO phenomenon? Like, for example, Independence Day, uh, the Day of the Earth. No, not the Day of the, the Earth. Still, that was a pretty good one. Um, yeah, it was. You know, uh, does Hollywood is Hollywood an asset when it comes to the UFO community? I think it depends on what movie and who the director is. Yeah. You know, because certainly Steven Spielberg comes to mind yeah. with, with the e. whole Close Encounters yeah. of the Third yeah. Kind also. Yeah. Um, for, you know, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, J. Allen Hynek was the technical consultant on that movie, and he had a cameo as one of the scientists at the end of the movie when the mothership comes down. So that was one of the more realistic mm -hmm. depictions of human-alien contact. But, but still, it, it didn't go far enough, and nothing ever has. Remember, Hollywood wants to make money. Yes. That's the bottom line. Hollywood has to do whatever it can to get people into the theaters, buy the tickets, buy mm -hmm. the popcorn, and, and just make as much money as it can. And I'm, I'm, I'm for that, because I like going to movies and sure. seeing great movies, but it's not necessarily realistic. Uh, I'm, I'm much, I would much rather see any documentary put together by my friend James Fox. What an amazing uh, film director mm -hmm. documentary. He has won awards with his documentaries, Out of the Blue, I Know What I Saw. He's working on another new one now. Just an amazing documentary filmmaker uh, that with riveting, realistic stories. And that's what I w would hope more people would see. Than, than Hollywood movies. Leah, I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's been a great pleasure. I look forward to the next time you join us back here in the Exxon. Until then, my friend, take care of yourself and be safe. Thank you, Rob. Take care. Exxon Nation, uh, Lee Spiegel has been our guest this hour. www.leespiegel.com. I'll be back on the other side of the news at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour as the Exxon continues right here from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away.